Hello, and welcome to this week's Aging with Grace podcast episode titled, The People You Elect Are Capable of Making Laws That May Hurt You, Part 1. Thank you for tuning in. I'm D.G. Linton Gridley, founder and CEO of Aging with Grace, a company dedicated to helping our members live in their homes and communities and receive necessary services there, rather than for our members to have to move somewhere to get the services they need. I was alerted to the legal and financial ramifications of aging when my in-laws became unable to live independently with good health and quality of life in 2006. They lived in New York, and I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and I only saw them a couple of times a year year on holidays. That year, 2006, I visited them and was shocked at how they looked— Here's the thing, when older folks are experiencing difficulty meeting their own needs, they don't reach out and ask for help. They are embarrassed. In fact, sometimes they try to hide the fact that they're not able to do for themselves. That's the worst thing they can do because it puts themselves in further jeopardy and doesn't allow for others to help them. I am hoping that our culture will change and people will stop being embarrassed about needing help as they grow older. I want people to own their age, relish it, be proud of it, and educate and arm ourselves with knowledge so we can fight all the stereotypes about aging in our society. In other words, I want you to be superheroes. I want you, I want to help you with the education part. Knowledge is power. This podcast episode and the next three are about how our lawmakers make laws or don't make laws that directly affect our well-being or lack thereof. This particular episode is about laws that give us the right to drive. More specifically, laws that ensure that drivers are capable of driving. Also, this podcast is about laws concerning the availability of public transportation. Here in Lexington in 2009 or 10, there was a terrible accident where a woman with dementia was driving the wrong way down a local expressway when she killed a family of four and herself. The daughter of the woman who caused the crash was interviewed on the local evening news and apologized through tears for knowing her mother had dementia and yet not taking away her keys. The daughter of the woman with dementia who caused the crash will be haunted her whole life with that guilt. Why is it the sole responsibility of family members to take away the keys? What if someone with dementia doesn't have any family? And even if they do have family... Families aren't very good at taking away the keys, as illustrated by the horrible outcome of the story I just shared. Dementia is a very mysterious and complicated problem for people who are trying to help someone who's experiencing dementia and who is unable to live independently because they have lost the ability to remember how to do basic things like shopping, cooking, cleaning, going to doctor's appointments, etc., and driving. The person with dementia doesn't know they have dementia. In the early stages, one of the symptoms of dementia is not trusting family or anyone close to themselves. But at the same time, people with dementia will trust strangers who take advantage of them and steal all their money. But back to my story of how I learned about the laws concerning people with Alzheimer's and driving. My mother and father-in-law both had varying degrees and different kinds of dementia. Dementia is a broad term for a myriad of memory and mental function problems. Alzheimer's is one type of dementia. Vascular dementia is another type. 
There are many more types. And then there are mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which are not forms of dementia but can cause behavior similar to symptoms of dementia, such as hallucinations and inappropriate behaviors. My father-in-law had dementia the worst. I tried to help my in-laws long distance when I discovered that they were having problems, but because I was just a daughter-in-law and not local, it was impossible. I heard from other relatives in the area and during conversations with my mother-in-law that my father-in-law was having trouble with basic life skills, including driving. I heard a story about him getting stuck in the bathtub. I heard a story about him trying to mow his yard and falling down over and over. I heard a story about him upsetting everyone at the grocery store and the police because he went in to buy groceries and when he came out, his wife was not in the car. He thought she had been kidnapped, but she was at home. She had not gone with him to the store. I heard a story about him almost going over a cliff on a drive around Cuca Lake when he turned the wrong way on a road he had known since he was a boy. I heard a story about him arguing with his son about which way to go when his son was driving, and his son was baffled because he knew his dad was wrong, even though it was a familiar route. I heard a story about him going the wrong way on the expressway and almost hitting a semi-truck head-on. So I called the police in their area and told them about the stories I had heard about his driving. I was afraid he would kill somebody and was hoping the police would take his license away. I told the police that my father-in-law had been a bus driver for the county up until the year before, but every year he had to take a test and get clearance from his doctor. That year, he failed the test and his doctor would not clear him, so he lost his job driving the bus, and yet they still allowed him to drive a car. The police were no help at all. They said they could not stop him from driving. So during my break from teaching for the Thanksgiving holiday in 2007, my then-husband and I drove to New York with the intention of bringing my mother and father-in-law back to live with us so I could help them have better health and quality of life. My father-in-law looked like a concentration camp victim because he was so thin and unhealthy looking. My mother-in-law had a leg that was literally rotting off due to peripheral artery disease, and her blood pressure was through the roof. But I didn't know about my mother-in-law's problems at the time. I knew their son, to whom I was married, would not be good about helping with their care. He had never been good with helping with our children and said his teaching job and part-time work at Kroger was all he could manage. So I knew this would be up to me. I had watched my grandmother take care of her mother until she passed away in her own home, and that's what I wanted for my in-laws rather than to have them go to a nursing home. I had no idea what I was in for. I could not afford to quit my job and focus on their care exclusively. I still had a son at home in his senior year of high school that I was trying to help get into college. I really didn't understand how sick my mother-in-law was when I brought them to live with me. I didn't know she had the leg that was running off, and I didn't understand the extent of her dementia. She was very good at faking it. I have found that this is a common thing. People who know that something isn't right with their thinking can fool you in the short term. They want to fool you into thinking that they are fine because they don't want to lose their independence. I came to realize that they could not be safely left alone for any length of time, though, and that posed a problem because I did not have access to their money and I did not have enough money to pay for their care. I am sharing my story with you in hopes that it will help you understand what can happen as people get older. Forewarned is forearmed. 
Remember, you have to be a superhero, and the enemy is a culture that doesn't recognize or respect aging. I have been watching my in-laws getting older for years, of course, and I understood the aging process, so I was hoping that they would move near us or that their son to whom I was married could get a job near them so that we could help them as they were getting older. I knew they would need help as they got older. Everybody does if they live long enough. I loved my in-laws and wanted the best for them. I really didn't understand their financial situation. They didn't share any of that with me or with their son to whom I was married. And if I asked my husband at the time to ask them, he would not. However, they did not move near us, and we did not move near them while they were still capable of living an independent life with good health and quality of life on their own. So what I expected to happen, happened. They aged to the point where they needed some help. And I did what I thought was best for them at a sacrifice to myself and my family by moving them in with us. But I didn't have any money to pay for their care, and I had to work to pay our household bills. No one was available to help them for free during the day while my then-husband and myself were at work. My son was in high school. Like many people, I thought a veteran had access to a lot more help than what they actually have. I knew that Medicare didn't pay for help at home. So I reached out to the veterans hospital near us. Eventually, after a lot of paperwork and a few weeks, they gave us an aide that came to our house for two hours each weekday. She was wonderful. She gave my father-in-law a bath and made lunch for both my father and mother-in-law. My father-in-law could barely walk. He saw and said some really bizarre things. He thought the people on the television show Everybody Loves Raymond were us and we were them. He just sat all day and watched television. He was incontinent and ruined my sofa. My mother-in-law didn't want him to wear incontinence briefs, but of course he needed them, and and we eventually made that a matter of course. And even in his deep dementia, he wanted to drive. He had been an engineer troubleshooter for Ingersoll Rand, and they sent him all over the country to work on compressors. Since my mother-in-law never drove or worked at a job, he took her with him, and she refused to get on a plane, so he drove everywhere, all over the country. Driving was a huge part of his life, as it is for most Americans. To not drive means to be at a disadvantage in our culture. Not so in many European and Asian countries where they have pleasant and easily accessible public transportation. To illustrate my point, here is a real-life story. In 2011, I worked as an insurance agent while I was working to get funding and licensing in order to open and begin offering services at Aging with Grace. One of my clients was a judge in a little town in the hills of Kentucky. I went there to meet with the judge because she wanted to update her insurance policy. I told her about Aging with Grace, the business I was working to open. She said, that's great. Wish you could open one here. People with dementia need a place to be during the day where they can enjoy life and have their needs met. She said she met people through her work who had dementia. The judge said that just two months ago, a man came into the courthouse to renew his driver's license, but it was apparent to everyone who worked there that he had dementia because he couldn't find his way around and didn't even know how to follow directions to find the door to leave. The staff had to lead him out. The judge told me that the law requires a form to be filled out in cases like his when the Department of Motor Vehicle staff thinks someone is not capable of driving, and sent to the state police. The state police then goes to their door and takes their license. 
So the judge did that, and the state police took away his license. But then his wife came to the courthouse and confronted the judge and said, how could you take his license away? You may as well have killed him. A man has to drive to have a life around here. How can I get his license back? The judge told her that the only way was for her husband's personal physician to fill out a form testifying that in the doctor's opinion that the man was safe to drive. The judge told me she never dreamed the doctor would do that, but a few weeks later the judge saw the man driving. Since it was a really small town, the judge knew who the man with dementia's doctor was, so she called the doctor and asked him how he could have justified allowing that man to drive. The doctor replied, Judge, if I become known as the doctor who will take away my patient's licenses, then soon I won't have any patients. When I first heard this story, I just thought this doctor must be a really bad doctor, but then I learned that this is a common pattern with doctors. Doctors are putting our lives in danger. Beware of people driving with dementia. They can kill you. Not everyone who is older gets dementia, of course. Dementia is a disease. Getting older is not a disease. We are supposed to get older and wiser, and we usually do get wiser unless we get dementia. And there are many self-help measures to help prevent ourselves from getting dementia. Mostly a healthy diet and lots of exercise and real-life interaction with other people. But it happens still, and I believe doctors should have to be the ones to alert the Department of Motor Vehicles when the doctor determines a person has dementia. Here is an article from the NewYorkTimes.com titled, Nordic Study Links Dementia to Drivers in Fatal Crashes. A study of the brains of elderly drivers killed in automobile accidents in Sweden and Finland has found that an unusually high percentage, as many as half, showed signs of early Alzheimer's disease, researchers said today. But the condition had not been diagnosed before their deaths, which led the scientists to suggest that even in its preliminary stages, Alzheimer's can cause enough mental impairment to make driving dangerous. Finding such a high incidence of Alzheimer's disease in crash victims over the age of 65 surprised the researchers, they said. In Sweden's general population over 65, they said, only 5% have the disease. In the United States, from 5 to 10% of older people, people older than 65, and nearly half of those older than 85 are estimated to have the disease. The Swedish researchers reported their findings in today's issue of The Lancet, a British medical journal. They appear to raise the possibility both that many more accidents than thought are caused by Alzheimer's and that the incidence of Alzheimer's in the population is higher than thought. Hazards created by drivers with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia have become a focus of increasing concern and research in the United States as the share of the elderly in the population increases. There were 13 million drivers older than 70 in this country in 1995, and the number is expected to rise to 30 million by 2020. And this article was written in 1997, so it's more than that. It's an area of considerable concern, said Dr. Barry Gordon, a neurologist and director of the Memory Clinic at Johns Hopkins University, who is not involved in the study. In many, year, in many areas, if you don't drive, you're effectively trapped, but individual needs must be balanced against societal needs. 
the Swedish researchers examined the brains of 98 drivers, aged 65 to 90 years old, who were killed in traffic accidents in Sweden and Finland. They paid special attention to two regions of the cerebral cortex involved in decision-making, judgment, and visual and spatial ability. In 33% of the accident victims, they found brain lesions characteristic of Alzheimer's disease, and in 20%, they found lesions that suggested it, perhaps reflecting an earlier stage of the disease. The accident victims also had an unusually high incidence of a gene that has been associated with an increased risk of late-onset Alzheimer's disease. About half the accidents in the study involved only the driver's vehicle, but in the rest, which often occurred at intersections, other motorists were injured as well. Dr. Bent Winblad, an author of the study, said in a telephone interview, Dr. Winblad is head of the Department of Geriatric Medicine at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. This is a good study, Dr. Gordon said, and it adds to the growing evidence that there's undiagnosed or perhaps unappreciated dementia in a fair proportion of older individuals and that dementia might be contributing to societal problems as well as the individual's problems. Dr. Carlene Ball, a professor of psychology at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, who has devised tests to detect cognitive impairment in drivers, said she was not surprised by the new findings. Studies in the U.S. of Alzheimer's and driving have shown pretty much that even in the mild stages of the disease, most of the drivers are not fit to drive, she said. If mild dementia corresponds to this undiagnosed category, that would make sense. Dan Foley, a biostatistician at the National Institute on Aging, one of the National Institutes of Health, said that studies in this country indicated that the onset of Alzheimer's disease disease led to a two- or three-fold increase in a driver's risk of a crash. The increased risk does not occur right away, he said, but it becomes significant as the dementia progresses from mild to moderate. Then they pass the margin of safety and need to quit, he said, but severely demented people don't drive. They can't. Dr. Winblad and his colleagues urged that older drivers, their families, and doctors be on the lookout for cognitive problems that might interfere with driving. They suggested that older people who have already had accidents be tested to see whether they should continue driving, but Dr. Winblad advised against the routine testing of elderly drivers in general. I agree with that conclusion, said Dr. Leonard Berg, director of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center at Washington University in St. Louis and vice president of the Alzheimer's Association, a national group based in Chicago. But Dr. Berg emphasized that a diagnosis of Alzheimer's does not mean a patient must give up driving immediately. Many can drive safely for a while, he said, though they should be tested regularly. Driving is such an emotional issue, said Linda Hunt, an occupational therapist at Washington University who often conducts road tests to assess the driving ability of patients with dementia. Nobody is willing to step up and make a statement like, anybody with a dementia diagnosis should not drive. Only one state, California, requires that doctors report a diagnosis of dementia 
to the state authorities who may then order an evaluation. There's controversy in the field about whether that's a good idea, Mr. Foley said. Doctors worry that it scares people away from coming in to be assessed. And that's the end of the article from the New York, the, the New York Times. As you heard in the article, California is the only state that requires doctors to report their patients with dementia to the Department of Motor Vehicles so their driving ability can be evaluated. I think that's a great idea, and every state and country needs to have such a law. Every state needs more public transportation, too. Our lawmakers can make both of those things happen. Please write to your local and state representatives to ask for a law that mandates that doctors submit a form to the Department of Motor Vehicles for patients who have a diagnosis of dementia so their driving ability can be evaluated. Here in Lexington, we have a place where people can get a driving evaluation, but it's completely voluntary. It's at Cardinal Hill Rehabilitation Center. It does cost money, but it also supposedly lowers your auto insurance premium. It is one option for families who suspect their loved one is not capable of driving any longer. They can suggest getting a driving evaluation at Cardinal Hill. But no one can make someone take the evaluation. That's a subject matter for another podcast on guardianship. Also, please ask your elected officials who represent you and other people in power for more public transportation options suitable for people with dementia. We have a transportation service here in Lexington called Wheels that people with dementia can utilize, but it is way overutilized. People have to wait hours. We need more and better public transportation options in every community. Write to your local newspapers, too. Remember, I am sharing my story with you in hopes that it will help you understand what can happen as people get older. In our culture, older people are sent to live in senior living communities so you may not be familiar with the aging process unless you have seen it in your own family. Aging is natural and normal. Let's be realistic here. There's nothing wrong or bad about being older. Just because you are older doesn't mean you're disabled. Being disabled because of an age-related illness isn't good, but it may not affect driving skills. Then again, it may. Let's be realistic and evaluate people as individuals. A driver's license is a privilege, not a right, because an individual's driving ability affects us all. I remember when I was 16, my father took me to a remote area to give me my first driving lesson. The first thing he said before he allowed me to turn the key as I was sitting in the driver's seat was this. He said, you are about to be in control of a two-ton deadly weapon capable of killing people and yourself. That made a big impression on me. I did have some close calls as a new driver, but I didn't kill anyone. (laughs) However, there was that one time when I was 18 and I drove home drunk from a party and I didn't remember driving home because I had a blackout. I could have killed somebody and not remembered it, but there was no damage to my car. But it scared me enough to make me stop drinking so much. We have laws that attempt to protect us from intoxicated drivers So why don't we have laws to protect us from mentally disabled drivers? In the meantime, please be careful out there. Drive defensively. That car going the wrong way on the interstate could be around the next curve in the road heading your way. And with that, I am signing off and wishing you a week of making happy memories, feeling good about writing to everyone who has power to change the laws for our collective good. Bye for now. 
Thanks for taking the time to listen to the last episode. For more information, please go to aginglucasinfo.org. That's aginglucasinfo.org. Thank you. The health club for seniors is your kind of place. So come and join us and age with grace.